it'll be okay. We could definitely do that. Don't tell me it's not that simple. People overcomplicate this and make it some fucking riddle. Like, <laughs> can't just feed everyone. Are you insane? You know how much that costs? Way less than we've sent to Ukraine. I know that for sure. You don't have to be a mathematician or a foreign relations expert to figure out that division. You don't have to draw a graph to see it would cost a fraction to solve half of the problems we have and stop them from happening. I'm just saying, what kind of fucking world we living in? So many billions we've given them. When's Europe chipping in? When we gonna start splitting and stirring up the dividends and begin telling other nations it's your turn to lend a hand? The table is tilted, folks. The game is rigged. And nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. Good, honest, hard-working people, white collar, blue collar, doesn't matter what color shirt you have on, continue to elect these rich cocksuckers who don't give a fuck about them. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all, at all, at all. At all. So that was Samson's song, which is very fitting for today's show. I'm shifting a few gears. So I was watching a little bit of Ken Paxton's interview with um, Tucker. And oh boy, I kind of just took a sip of my coffee and then I thought to myself, that's genius. And they weren't even talking about it. And how do I say this? Obviously, it's September 21st, 2023, and I've said this before. Evil is not creative. And we know we have rights. In the heart of every American, uh, pulses the legacy of justice, right? And the fact that we know that we are free. The undying belief that in the pursuit of remedy and equity, there is justice. Our nation is woven together by the very fabric of laws and regulations that have been passed. That, but in those, we hold in our hands the power and responsibility to ensure that our rights are not merely on paper, but lived and breathed every single day. It's imperative as Americans that we harness the laws crafted for our protection. For in them lies the essence of a democratic republic and self-governance. Now, in a chorus, right, of our collect collective voices, we don't just sing the songs of freedom, but also the tales of consumer protection. Like, as consumers, we're not just passive recipients, right? When you buy... Um, a washing machine, you want it to work, right? If you have um, new pipes laid out by your city and they're defective, you want them to work and you should be able to have remedy. Every time the government makes purchases on our behalf, it is an unspoken contract, a tacit agreement that we, the people, are investing our trust and our faith into them with our money to make a purchase on our behalf. It is a symbol of our collective consumption where we expect benefit, safety, and above all, quality. So when the items delivered to us are defective, when the promise is broken, is it not our right? Is it not our duty to seek remedy? Of course it is. 
It is not merely about reimbursement. It's about the integrity of a pact made, a promise given. Now, as I posted on my Telegram for now, because that is where all the genius listeners reside. And when I say that, I don't say it, you know, kind of like on a whim. My listener base is a collective of the most intelligent people I have ever encountered. We will navigate the sea of consumer rights, and we will find solace in the Beacon of Hope, which is the office of the Attorney General. Allow me to elaborate. The Attorney General stands for as people's advocates, but also the lawyer for the government, wielding the sword of justice and the shield of our rights. They are actually tasked specifically to protect consumer rights. In conjunction with the FTC's consumer laws, these stalwarts ensure that no entity, no matter how powerful, can elude accountability. They embody the very spirit of our nation, well, on paper at least, right? And the idea that no one stands above the law. In the face of adversity, when those responsible seek to avoid liability, it is creative thinkers, the outsiders, the believers who make the change. Because creativity is not just in the realm of artists, but the tool of the just, the innovative, and the hopeful. And hope, ha, huh, is what everyone calls the strongest asset that one may have. It is that accelerant that turns embers into roaring flames that propels solutions and ensures that even in our darkest hour, the promise of America will still shine bright. So in unity with perseverance and out-of-the-box thinking, we ensure that the scales of justice never tip away from the people. So I hope that many of you out there right now are having those gears in motion to understand where I'm going with this. In fact, to further elaborate, I'm going to use a lecture. A lecture from oh, it's over 12 years ago by a lawyer named Richard Alderman. I think we should look into who can be sued. More on that. So please enjoy this educational lecture. You can't with this law. With this law, you've got to send somebody written notice. You've got to tell them what you want. And you'll see if they try to settle and you don't accept it, there are real penalties. Uh, you keep hearing people saying, you know, we like loser pays and we have to change the law. This has been the law with this statute for a long time. If defendants try and make a reasonable settlement and the plaintiff doesn't get it, the plaintiff's damages are capped, the plaintiff's attorney's fees are capped, the defendant can get attorney's fees. So the, you'll see the trade-off with this law is, yeah, it's, it's favorable in some respects to consumers, but it lets defendants get out of things with a, a fair level of, of liability. Okay, there's one 
thing with respect to who can be sued that is a little different with the Deceptive Trade Practices Act. Generally, when you deal with a corporation, who's incorporated? Anybody incorporated? You're incorporated? Why did you incorporate? I don't want personal yeah, you incorporate because you don't want personal liability. Ain't going to help you with this law. You can sue a business, but if it's an individual, whether it's a salesperson, the president, or whomever, if it's an individual that has violated the law, you can sue the individual as well. In most cases, you want to sue the business. I mean, if I have a problem with Neiman Marcus, I don't want to sue the sales clerk. I want to sue Neiman Marcus. But if you're dealing with a small business, and the business itself is a corporate shell, it's the president of the corporation, the, only, the salesperson that lied to you about the car. With this law, you can sue that salesperson individually. So that's a, a big benefit. Um, you can be sued anytime you sell anything. Who's ever sold anything? Craigslist, WANAD, online, anything else? You better watch what you say. Every car that's been sold in the 40 years that I've lived in Houston has been good as new. If you say that and it's not true, you can be liable under this law. If you have a garage sale and you're selling a television, you watched it last night. It worked fine. Somebody comes and looks at it and says, how's the television? And you say, it's in great shape. It works fine. And they get it home and it doesn't work. You can be sued under this law. The first person sued under this law that went to the Texas Supreme Court, one of the very first cases, was somebody selling a boat. Somebody as honest as anyone in this room. And he put the boat to, for sale and he thought, I better check it out. He took the motor in to a mechanic and said, fix it. And the mechanic charged him $500. This is the early 1970s. $500 was $500. And said, it's in excellent condition, good as new. So the guy puts the boat out on the front yard. The buyer comes up and says, I want to buy the boat. What's the motor like? And the guy says, excellent condition, good as new. And the buyer buys the boat. The mechanic didn't fix it. The guy says to the seller, you violated this law. You lied to me. The seller says, wait a minute. I'm not a merchant. I'm not in business. I didn't know what I said was, was deceptive. I thought I was telling you the truth. I didn't have any intent to do anything wrong. I'm completely innocent here. And I acted in good faith. And the Texas Supreme Court said, we don't care, we don't care, we don't care, we don't care. The law says this law applies to everyone. And if you make a misrepresentation, you're liable under this law. So be careful when you sell things and just know what this law is going to do is give you the right to basically rely on what people tell you. Now as I said, you can't just sue. Small claims court, whatever. With a lawyer, without a lawyer, you have to send notice. 
you have to send it 60 days before you file your, your claim. You don't have to, but you should send it certified. That's the easiest way to prove that the person received the notice. And you have to say two things. You have to tell them the nature of your complaint. That's what the statute says. In other words, you have to tell them what you did wrong. You lied to me. You told me that the car was in excellent condition and it's not. You told me it had a rebuilt whatever and it doesn't. You told me it had never been in a wreck and it was. You told me you've never had a flooding problem with the house and you did. Whatever your problem is, you've got to tell them. Why? It's so they know what you're, what you're going to be arguing about. And you have to give them an amount of your damages. Usually that's going to be what it will cost to get something fixed or you know, what it will cost to replace it, but you have to give them a dollar amount. And the reason for all this is the defendant, and the defendant is the person that you're suing, the defendant has the right to settle. They have a right to send back a letter saying, we will do this. We will fix it. We will pay you so much money. Now why does all this matter? It's because if you don't settle the case, you've asked for a thousand dollars and the defendant doesn't think you should have a thousand dollars. He says, look, I'm sorry, I know I did this, but I, I think you're only entitled to eight hundred dollars. He offers you $800. You say, nope, I'm not going to take it. If you go to court and the jury decides $800 was a fair amount or $900, if the jury gives you substantially the same thing that the defendant has offered, your damages are capped at whatever the lower amount is between what they offered and what the jury did. You don't recover attorney's fees. And, in my opinion, you're going to owe their attorneys, attorney's fees. In other words, there will be a huge penalty if you don't accept a reasonable settlement offer. It also is why those of you in business take this real seriously because this is a sh relatively short fuse here. You have 60 days to offer to settle. I don't want to get into the details, but you will have another 90 days after that. <clears throat> but that's it. You want to try and settle these things quickly. In lots of cases, <clears throat> almost all cases, they settle. Very few disputes ever go to a trial. But they settle a week or two before trial, after everybody spent months or years, after everybody spent a lot of money, and the settlement has to be agreed to. Yes, this is a short period of time, but offering that settlement early really puts the consumer in the position that they almost have to take it. And if you're the consumer, I wouldn't view it as, I think I'm entitled to $1,000 and I'm only going to get $800. I would view it as, I think I'm entitled to $1,000. But if I have to file a claim, even in small claims court, it can drag out for a year or two with appeals. I may not win. And is $800 today 
worth more than the possibility of $1,000 two years from now. Uh, my guess is most people would say, I'll, I'll take the $800 and sort of view the big picture. So that's the notice provisions of this law, which as I said, this is very unique. Um, this is, there's really nothing else that, that requires all of this. Now, I've been talking about liability, but I haven't really told you what it is that can make somebody liable under this law. There are two important ways that you might be liable under the Deceptive Trade Practices Act. One is generally referred to as a laundry list. Your book has all of the things in it. The list has 27 specific things that the legislature has decided are false, misleading, or deceptive. There are only a few of them that you really have to know about, and 99% of all disputes fall into these few things. And the first one is where almost all disputes end up being. Any misrepresentation. What the statute says is any misrepresentation about the uses, quality, benefits, characteristics, or attributes of a good. That's everything. Anything somebody says about goods or services that isn't true is actionable under this law. And it doesn't even have to be something somebody says. They may imply it. Uh, for example, there is a case where <clears throat> somebody went to a house and told somebody, you know, oh, I've noticed you have bugs and termites. I'll come in and, and exterminate, and I'll only charge you X dollars. So the person pays the money, the person comes in with the little tank, and they spray everything, and they leave. And they sprayed water. And they're sued. And the lawyer says, you represented that you exterminated that house, and you didn't. And the exterminator says, ah, uh -uh. I never said I exterminated that house. I never said a word. And the court said, wait a minute. You said a house needed to be exterminated. You said you would exterminate if they paid the money. You took the money. That's, by implication, a representation that you did what you were paid to do. So if you are led to believe something, the odds are that can form the basis for a complaint. Um, also, as I said before, you don't have to show any kind of what the law calls culpable mental state on the part of the person. You don't have to show that I intended to mislead you. You don't have to show that I was thinking that what I said was false. It's simply if someone says it, they're responsible. What have we done in this instance? You've probably heard caveat emptor. Anybody know what caveat emptor means? What's it mean? Beware buyer. buyer beware. And that, a long time ago, I mean, it, people think that was the law not too long ago. It was really a long time ago. That was the law. If you bought something, the law said buyer beware. You better check everything out. You better not rely on what the seller says. If we have to decide when there's a bad sale, who loses? Buyer loses. What the deceptive trade practice does, it switches it to caveat vendor. Let the seller beware. The seller is responsible. And why? Well, we have two innocent parties. Most sellers actually didn't intentionally mislead you. They just said something that turns out to be false. So the seller bears the loss or the buyer bears the loss. 
The Texas legislature has said the seller is in the best position to absorb this loss. The seller has lots of customers. The seller can get insurance. So we will put this loss on the seller. The second thing that's actionable, the legislature thought about this. And they thought, OK, we're going to make you responsible for everything you say. So what might you do if you're just a really unscrupulous person? Suppose you know that pen leaks, and I want to buy it. What are you going to tell me about the pen? It leaks. Nah, you're too honest. <laughs> it may leak. No, you're unscrupulous. You're just somebody that wants to sell this pen. So what will you tell me? That's the best thing I ever owned. Okay. If you say it's the best thing you've ever owned, you're liable because that's a misrepresentation. So what will you do? You'll say nothing. Let me look at it. Let me say this looks like a really nice pen. You'll say, yeah. And the legislature said, wait, we want to make sure people don't do that. So the failure to disclose is also actionable. You're selling your house. And you know the backyard floods. You also know it hasn't rained in the last year in Houston. So this isn't going to be a problem. You can sell this thing and everything looks fine. So you don't say a word to the consumer. You let them look at the backyard, and the backyard looks fine, and you've fixed up everything. Well, it's a violation of the Deceptive Trade Practices Act. If you know material information, if you know something that will matter, you have got to disclose it. The last thing, misrepresenting legal rights, it doesn't come up a lot, but it does come up. Your landlord comes. Your landlord says, uh, you're late on your rent, and um, I'll give you till tomorrow. If you don't pay it, I'm locking you out. You call them the next day and your doors are locked. And you say, I have to get in. The landlord says, give me some money, you can get in. You know, it's, I'm not letting you in until you pay me. I've got the right. It's my property. Till you pay the rent, I'm locking the doors. Well, as you'll find out if you take the landlord-tenant class, they can't do that. The law says landlords can't lock you out. They can lock the door, they can change the locks, but they've got to make a key available to you 24 hours a day. So what has that landlord done? He's misrepresented your legal rights. And if that's the nature of the misrepresentation, that also violates the Deceptive Trade Practices Act. The second thing that violates the Deceptive Trade Practices Act is any breach of warranty. And this can get very technical, and I can spend weeks talking about it in a class. But the, the simple way to view it is, if somebody doesn't live up to the warranty, I have a claim under this law. And you'll, you'll see why that will matter, as opposed to just a claim for breach of warranty. Most, somebody give me an example of a warranty. Automobile. Automobile. Somebody else. Riding lawnmower. What else? Washing machine. How do you know you had a warranty on your riding lawnmower? Okay. But what's, what are the terms of the warranty? How do you figure it out? Well, how do you know that? How, you look at it. Okay. 
everything you've ever seen that looks like a warranty is taking away your warranty rights because it's limiting them. That is a warranty. Your refrigerator, your television, your riding lawnmower, they all have what the law calls express warranties. Those are the things you see. The more important warranties are when you see nothing. What kind of a warranty did that pen come with? Nothing. How about your eyeglasses? Your top? Your t-shirt? Your, your ring? There are what the law calls implied warranties. These are the warranties you get when nothing is said. And the most important one is merchantability. Everything you buy is warranted to do what it should do, the way it should do it, for the length of time it should do it. So these shoes. If I walk out of the store and the next week I see the stitching comes out. And I bring it back and they say, you know, I'm sorry, we don't guarantee the shoes. They sure do. I've got a warranty of merchantability. How long should shoes last? I know it's more than a week or two. <laughs> if you could find someone that would sell you a television without any kind of a written warranty, it'd be guaranteed for probably eight to nine years. That's how long they should last. You go to the hardware store and you buy a shovel. And you say, I'm planting a tree and I need something to dig a hole, and they sell you the shovel. And you go out back and you start to dig and it snaps off in your hand and there's a big piece of stuff stuck in your hand. That's a breach of warranty. That shovel had an implied warranty of merchantability and all breaches of warranty are violations of the Deceptive Trade Practices Act. There's the same thing with services. Anybody that repairs or modifies anything, you hire a plumber, you hire a carpenter, you bring your car in to be fixed, you bring your watch in to be fixed, a dress to be shortened, they all give you an implied warranty they will do it in a good and workmanlike manner. That means they will do it the way a competent person would do it. If they don't, it's a breach of warranty. Why does that matter? It's because it's also a violation of the Texas Deceptive Trade Practices Act. And why does this law matter? It matters because of damages. And because you will get attorney's fees. I think a lot of people don't realize generally you don't get attorney's fees in this country if you sue. Um, tort lawsuits where you see somebody was injured, you know, medical malpractice, legal malpractice. Somebody does something and you have $100,000 in medical bills. You have to pay your lawyer. If you recover 100,000, your lawyer usually will take it on a percentage. So 30 or 40 percent of that will. Now that we've had this lesson from this professor, allow us to uh, let this information percolate. We're all prodigies. We're all geniuses. And we all know how to set fires to smoke it out loud. I want you to think about it. And when I'm back, I'll elaborate to you just how we can set the nation ablaze.
as you noticed in the video, uh, the flag said the heist. Now, allow me to elaborate. Consumer protection. Well, we are the consumers being consumed. And so it dawned on me as I, I, I kid you not, I was on a conversation with an attorney speaking about one certain matter. I'm trying to finish up some other stuff. And in the background, I'm like, we definitely need to watch the interview with um, Attorney General Paxton and Tucker Carlson. And as he comes up on my screen, huh, I'm like, wait a minute, that's way too easy. See, we can file FTC complaints, but the most strongest one for consumer protection is your attorney general. And I thought to myself, all right, Ken, time to show us what you got. And that doesn't just mean Ken. See, in the state of Texas, the attorney general's office plays a role in protecting consumers from deceptive trade practices and fraud. And as you heard the professor say, the law is quite intricate, but very self-explanatory. Now, how many of you heard people that made purchases on your behalf? Because get this, even if a purchase was made on your behalf, you can still file a consumer complaint. So who made the purchase on our behalf for, let's say, Dominion voting machines? That's right. It was your money that paid for it. And the product that you purchased was supposed to deliver to you safe and transparent elections. And they, on the record themselves, have said they do not communicate, they do not connect, they, they cannot be remotely changed, but their fucking patent says they do. Which means that they did not give you, how did the professor say it? Important information in regards to the product. They purposely concealed it. Like if you're offering someone a leaky pen and you say, it's the best product I have. Now, let's just imagine that a hundred of you in your state file the same damn complaint and demand that they investigate the company for making statements of fair and free elections and that you did not have any informed consent when making that purchase indirectly with your money. Or, for example, the vaccines. You can file a consumer complaint that was purchased with your tax dollars. They were deceptive, saying that they were tested and tried and they were fine. Maybe, rather than hitting it head on, we take it from a consumer perspective. After all, we are the consumer being consumed. And so it begs me to think, huh, opportunities, right? If you remember when we nominated Attorney General Ken Paxton to be the Attorney General of America, America's Attorney General, we had asked him and we sent it to all our Attorney Generals, which by the way, invoked actual word for word statements from the letters you sent them at the Supreme Court, defending your rights. We talked about the parents patrie, right? Which is something that's used usually in matters of child protection or individual welfare, but it extends, and it's specific to that of the Attorney General. It's protection of the public interest. 
The attorney general may invoke the parents' patrie doctrine to protect the general welfare of state citizens. This could be in matters relating to environment, natural resources, consumer protection, antitrust issues, and more. Essentially, the AG can sue on behalf of the state's residents to enforce statute or to prevent harm to the public at large. That's quite fascinating, if you ask me. So let's see what the role of the state is in consumer protection, because that's pretty interesting. In consumer protection laws. Well, uh, throughout the different uh, federal uh, acts or laws that uh, protect consumers, we've identified some uh, state interest in protecting consumers as well. But generally, uh, states routinely uh, legislate for consumer protection. And lots of them uh, follow what's known or pass what's known as unfair and deceptive practices act laws. Um, that is, these group of laws that are uh, dedicated towards preventing certain practices with regard to consumer transactions in the area of insurance, real estate, uh, utilities, um, post-sale activities for consumer products, um, automobiles, uh, real estate, etc. cetera. Uh, so uh, any of these laws uh, can be on top of and in addition to the federal protections that are there. And unless uh, in conflict with the federal law or expressly preempted to an area of federal regulation, states are, are free to pass these laws and to enforce these uh, laws uh, through uh, state judicial action or pursuant to administrative all right, so that's that. Well, let's just see how consumer complaints are pretty much handled. See, the Attorney General's office, you hear them all the time. They uh, file complaints and investigate, you know, princes from Nigeria calling you. And most recently, which I'm uh, part of this test myself, is the fact, you know, there's a lot of people trying to leave the United States. I don't know why. And there are countries that are offering free housing to those that want to abandon the United States. But the funny thing is, is that we have the Saudis creeping up with some weird scam. So basically the scam is, uh, hey, we'll front the mortgage and you pay it and you can move to Abu Dhabi. You know, I'm just into this UAE. You could go anywhere you want and they'll pay for it. And what happens is a guy calls you and he's like, all right, so let me ask you these questions, Indian guy, scammer, and then says, let me put you in contact with someone who takes all your information and then you get screwed and your account is out. You file a complaint with the attorney general and suddenly, you know, there's some remedy that they can't do that and they will gain the evidence for you to then sue. It's like the grandma that was sending money or, you know, to some Jamaican guy, you know, swindling her out of tons. So let's just see how these attorney generals do that. Let's watch this. Robbers get hundreds of consumer complaints. We try our best to look into each and every one. However, we do ask all viewers to file a report with the Indiana Attorney General's office when it's appropriate. And today we're gonna to show you the process and how you benefit from it. Right now the AG's office says they've got more than 1,500 cases they would consider open that the state is currently looking into. And some of them date back years the AG's office told us they first make sure whoever's complaining actually did business with the company they're complaining about. And if that is the case, they will send a file to a mediator. That mediator then sends a letter to the company asking for an explanation about what went wrong and the business owner has 15 days to respond. Once we have the response, we send that to the consumer and say, 
what do you believe what do you think about this what reactions do you have what sort of response do you have and we go back and forth a couple of times between the consumer and the respondent if there's disagreements to see if we can reach a resolution yeah so a lot of back and forth if the mediator can't find a compromise or the business simply refuses to apply to the state's letter that's when you could see civil action in court we got information on all this and how it works on cbs4indy.com 538 need help finding a gift so basically the government is your mediator so how do you work with a mediator that has to inquire your purchaser absolutely not they go directly to the source they actually go directly to the source now let's focus on texas for a second let's watch the interview with tucker carlson that attorney general paxton had for those of you that um are um, how do i say mm, not familiar or those that are overseas that have not watched this or that can't access twitter because now nations are limiting what each and every one of you in another nation can watch please take a moment and listen carefully to what Ken Paxton has to say. It's quite interesting because they came after him. From before the elections, they were coming after him. And the question every one of you should be asking is why? I mean, it's not happenstance that we selected Ken Paxton. And as I said, the case that was pending probably was his get out of impeachment shit. But that's okay. Defensive driving, evasive driving. Ah, uh, you know, you just got to go through obstacles one at a time. So maybe this is the avenue to get over that obstacle. Here we go. Impeachment. 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 You went to the FBI on September 30th without any evidence. That's right. We took no evidence. Allegations of bribery, unfitness for office, and abuse of public trust. He's being attacked by his own employees. Did you gain any out of that? I don't recall. It's about Ken Paxson and how bad Ken Paxson is. The board of managers presented overwhelming evidence. A finding of acquittal is entered as to Article 1. Well, this is a resounding victory. Ken Paxton has survived 16 votes on articles of impeachment. You're the most aggressive legal opponent of the Biden administration in the United States. You're Republican elected with a big margin in a Republican state, but it was Republicans who tried to take you out. How can you be removed from your job without being convicted of something? We are a huge problem for the Biden administration. Take away your job, they take away your money. And they took away my ability ultimately to even speak. Well, that doesn't really sound like the way democracy is supposed to work. If you can do impeachments like this and you can have mail-in ballots, we don't have democracy. It feels like Texas is going to be a democratic state pretty soon. I think that's the goal. We lose Texas, we lose everything. Ken Paxton is the attorney general of the state of Texas and one of the primary checks against federal power. So far in the Biden administration, Paxton's office has filed 48 lawsuits against the administration. This past November, he was elected overwhelmingly to his third term. But then within months, he was impeached in the state of Texas on a bunch of different counts, a pretty complicated case against him, alleging that he gave special favors to a donor. He was just acquitted in that trial in the Texas State Senate. Kind of an amazing spectacle, but it raises a bigger question, which is how did this happen? Why did it happen? And maybe most interestingly, who actually runs the state of Texas? In his first interview since his acquittal, 
Attorney General Ken Paxton joins us on the set. Mr. Attorney General, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here. What a great place. So um, congratulations Thank you. on your acquittal. Uh, but I'm fascinated by the fact that you were impeached in the first place. How did this happen? First of all, let me just say it was, as you've read through this, very complicated. It, it is was, complicated. It was, yes. it, was, it, was, it was crazy. But I truly believe it became very political. And I am sitting here because of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I was delivered because it wasn't just about the law. It became political completely. And I didn't know how it was going to turn out on the political side. But it's, it's just interesting because... Um, you know, your fans and your detractors, I think, would both acknowledge that you're the most aggressive legal opponent of the Biden administration in the United States. You're a Republican elected with a big margin in a Republican state, but it was Republicans who tried to take you out. Yeah, that's what it looks like. But in reality, I believe the Texas House, a lot of people don't understand this. I spent 10 years in the Texas House. And, yes. And we have 150 members of the Texas House and 65 of them are Democrats. And those 65 Democrats always vote in the block and they pick the Republican they want and they deliver those 65 votes. And that Republican then has to come up with 10 votes because their own vote's going to count for the speaker, for the speaker, for, for the speaker. So whoever gives those Democrats the most, whatever Republican agrees to the most, gets elected. In this case, I believe and I think that the, the wait. So you're saying that the Republican speaker of Texas is chosen by the Democrats? Pretty much. Yeah, because that 65 is hard to overcome. All he has to do then is find 10 Republicans because he's got his own vote. And usually you can find 10 Republicans who are either his friends or who he gives big committee summits to, like appropriations or state affairs or something big. It's pretty easy to put together. Wait, so you can have a big majority in the Texas House, but still not control the Texas House. That's exactly what has been happening over the last, say, 14 years, 16 years. Let's just unpack what Paxton just told us. Deals. We've seen that in Congress and in the Senate on a federal level. Mitch McConnell cuts deals. People cut deals. You vote my way and allow me to look like a great Republican. You vote my way. Now you understand why they held out votes for Kevin McCarthy. I'm of the fact that when someone's trying to deceive the public, let them do it. But as you can understand, he's explaining to you how a Republican state is really run by Democrats, meaning a uniparty. How their exchanges, I will put you on this committee where you have this XYZ if you vote for me. What do I get out of it? I want this. I want to be allowed to do this. I want to be allowed to do that. And this is how deals are cut. He just explained it to you, having spent time in local legislation too. Now, let's continue to see what other tidbits he admits to the public happen behind closed doors thank you that's crazy it is crazy and people don't and of course the media doesn't tell people about that that's literally what happens in the texas house so we have a really hard time the senate is great they they're very conservative they've done great things for texas but they get blocked a lot of times and a lot of my stuff gets blocked in the texas house because dave phelan the speaker is controlled by the democrats you really believe that? Absolutely. I was in the House. I saw it at work. I was pushed towards that. I actually ran against the speaker, a Republican speaker, for that reason, because I could not vote for a speaker controlled by the Democrats. Now, I couldn't win because I didn't have the Democrats. Well, that doesn't really sound like the way democracy is supposed to work. It's how it's working in Texas right now. And that's why this is an opportunity. My impeachment actually becomes the opportunity, I think, to speak to this issue I'm going to be out talking about. I have, I have a, a pretty concrete example of why this doesn't work. And here's my argument. There were two of the four House 
investigating lawyers that worked at the Department of Justice in Washington. And that's no random, uh, that's not random. It's not to, like, it, it, explain that a little bit for those so, who so haven't followed. So the House followed. Investigating Committee, is, there's five members. There's three Republicans, two Democrats. It's Texas House. Texas House. They are responsible for, they were, they were the ones that investigated me, and they hired, I think it was four lawyers. Two of them came from the Biden DOJ. That's not an accident. They were sent there. But you had filed 48 suits against the Biden administration. Yes, and I think that was the motivation. We were causing a lot of trouble. Wait a minute. Did Paxson just tell us how the federal government was involved in activities of state affairs? Where's the sovereignty in that? I mean, we've already talked about the digital sovereignty that has been forfeited by your state executives. Did you hear what he said? Are you picking up what he's putting down? Genius for the Biden administration. Even if we didn't win, we slowed them down. We were winning, I think our number is 77% of our cases. So we are a huge problem for the Biden administration and that was the way to get me out of the way. And obviously that had an impact on, on the lawsuits being filed by Texas and other states. So you think that this that the effort to remove you from office really came from the Biden administration? I really do. I think that's where it, it was instigated. And then there were other groups in Texas uh, that we can talk about that I think were largely participating. Interesting. And some of those are Republicans. So some of them are Republicans, yes. So how did, just to, to your case really quick, how did you find out you were being impeached and what happened? I, I literally had no idea. It was, it was a committee meeting of the House Investigating Committee, I think it was three or four days before Memorial Weekend, the end of session. So they're busy trying to pass all these big bills and they decide they're gonna spend one day investigating me. Of course, they'd done secret investigation for three months that we didn't know about behind closed doors with no transparency, no due process. Which you, almost immediately after you're reelected to a third term, yes, they begin investigating yes, you. Yes, but I don't know that. They started in March is what they said, like March 1st. And they investigated secretly behind closed doors with no one knowing. Even the House Investigating Committee, not all of them knew. I know for sure that one of the Republicans had no idea until they got to that day that it was me and he was told to vote for impeachment without knowing anything about the case and actually disagreeing with doing it. But he was told his career would be affected if he didn't vote for impeachment. So those five members had an investigation for one day. They did a four hour hearing. And within 40, less than 48 hours from that, I was impeached on Saturday Memorial weekend without an opportunity to present my side, without an opportunity to have any sworn testimony, which is required by law. They are required to have witnesses sworn in under oath no one was sworn in or out. They didn't even have witnesses. They brought in investigators who had talked to witnesses, which is obviously hearsay and wrong. So that's how it all got done. It was done in less And this was a total shock to you? I had no idea. They didn't come talk to me. They told me nothing about it. They didn't tell anybody. So what happens once it was announced you're being in? Well, allow me to kind of just interject here. They didn't tell him anything. They blindsided him. But there is something that I told you guys in 2021, if you'd like to revisit that episode, where we talked about sending the letters to the attorney generals. And I sent one to Attorney General Yost, who's my attorney general in Ohio. But I also sent one to Ken Paxton, just as all of you did. During that show, I explained to you what was coming. Obviously. It went way over heads, and it's understandable, almost like when I talked about the unions and Amalgamated Bank and BCCI and the importance of all those things, 
or the pipelines and how they were surveying the pipelines and how uh, when the pipeline exploded, I said, oh, well, I guess it's done. Huh. Ken Paxton was under investigation from before the elections. Now, many of you have understood how the symptoms have been really spot on with a lot of things. And I've explained that it's called predictive analytics. Now, there are two avenues that we can choose. Ken Paxton was an avenue that was of lesser importance as it was not something that I would say would have manifested because that would be just egregious. I mean, all those pedos of the Lincoln Project, Karl Rove, which I brought up many times as people would still see him on Fox and listen to him. Oh, he did say he had a sex tape with Ali Akbar, who I also said was an asset of the agency. And Ken Paxton comes from the city of the Sons of Sam. It's a big deal. He understands the good old boys club. But what he didn't understand is why they were investigating him before the elections. I point back to Bill Barr's Minority Report Division, the one that compiles data and puts it together. Sometimes, when you speak about things that they're about to do and you make enough noise, they don't do it. But other times, when you make noise about things that was insignificant, very tiny, super tiny, like it's on the back burner. We won't mess with Paxton yet, even though it's popped up on our system, that he's an important, integral part of this. There's no reason to go after him, but let's monitor him. So they've been monitoring Ken Paxton from before the elections. Huh. Let alone remember, it was the state of Texas that was filing lawsuits about these elections. I want you to pay attention. So, so let's pretend that I do a show and I tell you that J-Pal is going to go, I don't know, to San Francisco, lick an ice cream and win a million dollars by getting a scratch off. And then she takes that million dollars and buys, I don't know, an ocean liner. And I make that kind of go viral or effectively be put in where people are emailing J-Pal and saying, hey, you're licking this ice cream and you're going to go lick this ice cream there and then you're going to win a scratch it and you're going to buy that ocean liner and that's going to cause damage. So I suggest you don't buy that ice cream. I suggest you don't go lick it. So you bring attention to the issue. And it's so much attention that J-Pal decides I'm not going to go lick that ice cream because everyone's going to know that I had planned to buy this ocean liner. It's going to look like I planned it, and, and, and then I'm screwed. It's in the case of Ken Paxton. They knew he was a problem because he popped up on one of the predictive algorithms as a force to be reckoned with. But they didn't bother. They just collected. Nothing aggressive, just collected. And suddenly... We all write letters and we nominate him. And it's like, yeah, well, look at us now. We have nominated him as the Attorney General of America. But at the same time, we don't believe 
that President Trump will choose a male. He's going to choose a female as vice president. I mean, you got to choose your successor wisely and you got to put them through fire. So here we are raising eyebrows of the federal government that, hey, A.G. Paxson is our man and he is fighting for us and he's got good people. And not only that, we've got good people in Texas that are knocking on that door, that are sitting down with the investigators, that are having these conversations. But we, the people, choose someone passive to be President Trump's VP, not Ken Paxton, of course. We'd rather someone that would carry out his agenda for the next two years if something were to happen to him during his tenure without hiccup. We definitely want to make sure that we have a great general like General Brown sitting at the chief. Joint Chiefs of Staff, you know, to, to carry that through. And that's what we want, not Ken Paxson. But we're nominating him for the Attorney General of all of us Americans right now, when the Attorney General that we have in America is not a very good one. So suddenly, we've elevated Ken Paxton as the key to protecting his own citizens. Put the weight on the, on the shoulders of the Lone Star State to fight, because they always have. And so they go nuts because as time went and they gathered all this information, they decided we must strike. We must strike because, oh my gosh, what if he picks Paxton and is his vice president? We got to destroy him because it seems like he's going to be playing, playing a very big role. It could have just been attorney general of the United States in the next administration per se. But what if it was bigger than that? So they came at him really, really fast. See, sometimes when you talk about things, you can deter them from happening. But other times, when you talk about things, it's almost like baiting them so they can make it happen. It's always a push and a pull. And you only have to think of it that way. You have to step back and see just how much your actions as a people have shifted the landscape, the political landscape of our nation, making fighters arise out of nowhere. And many of you that listen to my shows that are in Texas know exactly how humble Ken is and know exactly that he's been in the swamp of Texas and understands it and how approachable he is and reasonable. And he's not one, I guess, AG, that'll just file stuff for the sake of it or involve themselves in covering up for people. He's more of the fact like, you bring it to my attention, I'm gonna have to do something. Many of you that have met him understood that. So imagine how he felt when he saw the power of the federal government, who by the way, question is, those people that the Texas state legislators hired from the DOJ, were they double dipping? Were they being paid federal dollars and state dollars? And are they allowed to moonlight like that? Are you allowed to be counsel at the Department of Justice, but also perform services like off the books, you know, as a moonlight job for another state? I mean, how does that work? That's a question that Texans should be asking. I'm pretty sure that Ken Paxton, right now, he's just happy that they didn't destroy his whole livelihood. Well, let's see what else he tells us while you keep that in mind. 
impeached. What I, happens to you? It was horrible. I was immediately suspended, so I lost my 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 office. I couldn't do any more lawsuits against Biden or anything. What do you mean else. you were suspended? Suspended means I can't be in the office anymore. I can't direct what's going on in the office, even though I'm elected, even though they proved nothing, even though they had no testimony. No, You evidence. hadn't been convicted. Hadn't been convicted. They had presented no evidence. They had presented no witnesses, and I'm well, out. How? Okay. That's a very weird process. So you don't even know you're being investigated the moment you find out you're being investigated and impeached or suspended from your job? Yes. It's the way it's, it's the way that I think it's constitutional. And I think it needs to be changed because they should have to prove something before the will of the voters is overridden. And that's what happened. The will of the voters. I've been I was in four and a half months. Now I've been out of office suspended for almost four months. So half. Hold on a second. So let me tell you what happened here. Allow me to elaborate from the sources that I have within the federal government. While he was away, all his email and electronic data, hence why they barred him from the office, he couldn't even go to the office. His emails were confiscated. His text messages confiscated. His office rummaged, photocopied, and investigated. Pretty sure his own people saw that. That you'll hear at another time. As a Texan, I would have been upset. I would have been like, wait a minute, what's going on here? We elected this guy. Okay. He's on administrative leave. Well, who's taking over? Who's doing what? What is going on? Well, I'm telling you what they were doing. They were investigating, investigating everything. Almost like when the attorney general of North Dakota offed himself, or shall I say the official reporting is, he had heartburn, died, was resurrected, heart attack, died, resurrected, heartburn, well, he just died. But shortly after his death, they purged 23 years of justice emails, meaning 23 years of archives that are property of the people were purged, per se, per se. Because, you know, the IG of the NSA at the time of his death was not Robert Storch. It was somebody else. So here we go. Understanding the Chinese dynamics, the human trafficking, the fentanyl, and a lot more that soon North Dakota will demonstrate. I mean, wait for it. It'll be a while. But like my grandpa said, if you shit, it's definitely going to float. Because in water, everything floats. Now, listen to what else he has to say. And <laughs> keep in mind, we've only been in this a couple minutes. And you've already realized the atrocious actions that have transpired throughout this. They decided to impeach him, barred him from his office. And I'm telling you, they rummaged through every single communication he had. They needed to find communications between him and possibly President Trump or possibly someone from President Trump's campaign. Now, that would be a legal search and seizure, but they'll figure out a way to make that legal, too. Listen carefully. My time of my term now, I've spent not being able to do what the people of Texas elected me to do. How can you be removed from your job without being convicted of something? It seems pretty crazy, but that's the way the law is. And I know that the, the Dan Patrick, lieutenant governor, has suggested now that that be changed. They should have to prove that you did something wrong before they remove you from operating as, as someone who was So you elected. just wake up in the morning and they're like, you think 
you're an elected official. Yes. And now you're not. You're just in limbo. I walked out of the, when they did it that day, I, that Saturday, I had to walk out of the office and I haven't been back a day since, not a minute since. And was unable to do anything. I can't direct any of our, our legal operations. So, you know, I, I have to go now figure out what's going on in my own office. And a lot of people have left. It, they created a lot of harm to the state of Texas by doing it this way. Did you think the voters were in charge? Before. I used to. I used to think like election. <laughs> I'm like very suspicious now. If they can do this to me, I mean, they can do this to lieutenant. So Robert. they take you out of office. Do they pay you? No. Well, they're supposed to. By law, I am the attorney general. It's 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 in the statute that, that, that I'm getting paid. The comptroller, Glenn Hager, for some reason decided, you know what? I'm not going to pay you. I'm taking away. Go sue me. And he knows that if I sue him in Austin, I'm, I have a hard time winning any case in Austin. Cause so they take away your job. They take away your money. What do you do? And they took away my ability ultimately to even speak. What do you so mean? We had a gag order put in place on both parties somewhere, I think, in June. So I could no longer even defend what was being leaked by the House team to two reporters. A gag order? A gag order. So I could not respond to any... Uh, so you've been convicted of nothing. That's correct. You've not been able to bring your side of the story to the investigators. I guess they refused. We tried to even send somebody there a little, you know, sham hearing that lasted less than four hours. And they said, no, we don't want to hear your side. And then you can't speak in public about it. That's correct. Hmm. And they docked his pay and they tried to destroy his family. And the media did a great job trying to convince other Republicans. Well, he's a rhino, right? He did this, right? Hmm. I think we should give our attorney general and then some. I mean, you always choose your successor and you always put them through fire. I think we should give him some consumer protection questions. Don't you think, Texas? How many of you have your voting machine officials telling you that they're safe and fair? No. Do you have Dominion machines? All right. Well, we have them on the record saying that they don't connect to each other. Don't we have Poulis saying that? Don't we have all of them talking about how safe and fair they are? Well, those are products that were purchased on your behalf. Those were products that are defective. And in the state of Texas, like you heard that incredible professor from Houston say, the liability falls on the manufacturer. And so now the manufacturer has to explain how they didn't disclose that in their, and this is specifically for Dominion, patent clearly says that those machines can be remotely accessed. Clearly says that they all network within each other. Clearly says that you can change information. And that information obviously was withheld, you know, because they didn't have to tell you. So, ESNS, Heart Inner Civic, same thing. Find on record where they tell you their information. Dig up from the patent office their actual patents and go and use their words. Not only that, find where they're being told. Well, <laughs> where the people are being told. I would say, find where they have said that they are the most transparent and safe machines and ask them to clarify that. Ask them to tell you how they're safe and effective with COTS, 
ask them to demonstrate that. And in that demonstration, you will see that the Halderman report itself indicates, and my affidavit too. See, a lot of people like to trash me. I'll say whatever they want to silence me. Well, my affidavit is pretty solid, super solid. So what if you filed consumer protection, you know, requests to Ken Paxton about these machines that, you know, these are defective machines that were purchased on my behalf, not only on my behalf, but on the behalf of other citizens that have paid federal tax dollars. I do not feel that they are effective. They are defective. They are not what they say. They do not offer transparency because the counting is done in a black box. And I want you to investigate that. See how that works? It's pretty easy. Give a dog a bone and let him run. Because <laughs> it's going to be quite interesting. Because in the state of Texas, the liability is on the actual manufacturer. And that's where you might say, well, they could say, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. Discovery of what the Attorney General can actually get from them during that is going to be incredible. I mean, that's when you get to see Mitt Romney's son involved in Heart Inner Civic, which is big. And I wrote about that, I think, back in 2019 when Heart Inner Civic, who was running all the machines, right, a contractor that was running all these machines for Hartner Civic in Kentucky was also the one responsible for the county networks too. So no conflict of interest there. Kentucky can always bring an action like that. You can't have the same company running the machines running your county software either. You know, if it's not defective, then it's not effective and it's not free and transparent and it doesn't fit the standards to uphold the First Amendment because don't forget, your vote is your voice. And if a machine is hmm, violating that, then I guess it's unconstitutional. I'm saying now that we have Ken Paxton in a position where he's like, wow, what a witch hunt. You broke the law by not giving my salary. You broke the law by not having this. You broke the law by not having that. Mm, well, let's have that go down that hill. As consumers in Texas, you can file a complaint, not only about the machines but a consumer complaint to your state for taking on these vaccines and distributing them on your behalf. The vaccines were paid with your tax dollars, both Texas tax dollars and federal tax dollars. You can also bring a complaint about that too. See, sometimes if we go head on to request damages, we fail. And sometimes even if you file a consumer complaint with your attorney general, <laughs> Well, you're privy to some of those details, specifically if it's outlined in there. Or they may not tell you. They may say, we investigated it and we have nothing. And then you say, okay. Then you go to civil court in your state. And you're like, I want to subpoena the records of the investigation that the attorney general did and said he found nothing. And at that point, you will see what kind of work your attorney general did. And you will have access to every single one of those documents that he allegedly did. Now, let's say that you had, I don't know, AG of Washington, dismiss your complaint and say, look, we investigated it and it's all legal and everything's fine. 
And then you sue in a state court, just like, just cause. I want to sue for damages. And at a state level, you have a lot of rights. And that's where you subpoena the attorney general of like a, you know, a pussy attorney general, like the one in Washington state, right? And then you say, all right, well, we need the records of those communications of how you investigated it. Show us how you investigated it. And it turns out he didn't investigate shit. Guess what? He just failed on his duty and he gets impeached automatically because that's a violation of his oath. So for all those attorney generals that are listening right now, I love boxes. And this is one of the best ones. And it took a while. It took a while. It took a while. This is but the don't first you have you a First Amendment right to... I say what you think. Uh, that's my opinion. But the problem is I can't really challenge it because the very people that put it on in, it was done by the Senate. The Senate uh, put it in place. And so there's nothing I can do about it because they're my votes for acquittal. So I can't go challenge the people that, you know, ultimately are responsible for whether I get acquitted. I can't start, you know, attacking them on legal issues. Well, if there was a gag order, then why was I reading about the details every day in the in the <laughs> media? The House didn't follow the gag order. They leaked everything to the Austin American Statesman or the Houston Chronicle or Dallas Morning News. So I just had to take it. I mean, there was nothing I could but do. But why wouldn't they impose a gag order on those media outlets, which for the record, hate you. Yes. I think it's for fair to say for ideological reasons. But so they're allowed to talk about you, but you're not allowed to talk about your position on That's this? Correct specifically told they were I mean, specifically said we're, of course this doesn't apply to the media so then the house knows we just have to get it to the right place we the gag order does is fine for us because we can leak it to a, a sympathetic press i have we could well, so why would the media be allowed to attack you but you're not allowed to defend yourself that's, that's insane that's the way the rules got set up it was very difficult to deal with because it was every day a new story that i couldn't say anything about and then people assume you're it doesn't sound american at all it, it wasn't fair well, that is that. Um, I mean, you are an attorney general, chief law enforcement officer of the state. Is this con? Well, you know, we see gag orders in certain cases, but I'm in a political position, and this became extremely political. And you know, I, I felt like I was, you know, tense hot behind my back, and I felt like I had a constitutional right to um, be what, able to speak. Well, you do have a constitutional right to be able to speak. Um, period. Uh, I, that's what I thought. The Bill of Rights guaranteed Me First too. Amendment. Me too. Um, but. Doesn't <laughs> that should apply to everybody? How can it only apply to their enemies? Look, it, it's got to apply to everybody, including people I disagree with. They are they should be free to speak. They should be free to criticize me. I should be free to respond. So I do not fault them for having the ability to speak against. Well, me. so if you're not getting paid and you're not allowed to talk and you're being impeached how do you pay for your legal defense so that was the other thing so we have a moratorium on raising money during session it starts 30 days prior to session so it started december 10th i think and then through the governor's veto period which was like june 20th i think or 21st i was able to raise money and i spent almost all my money on my campaign because i had a primary a runoff and a general i spent 16 17 who'd you run against in the primary george p bush and a few others huh yeah so I spent all my money, so they knew when they did the impeachment, I didn't have any money. And so they kicked me out. Then they have taxpayer dollars to pay for every lawyer they want. I think they had 14 to 17 lawyers. And I had to go hire my own team. I had no help. Uh, I had no money. And I was starting from scratch. They had already done investigations. So they get to use taxpayer dollars to prosecute you, but you can't use taxpayer dollars to defend yourself. I was yourself. not uh, afforded legal representation by the state while I was out. <laughs> I mean, even rapists get legal representation paid Think about for how many state. people survive just that you have no money you have no lawyers 
you have no ability to speak, and you're up against a force that's already done an investigation, they already have information, and you don't have any of their information. You don't even know really what the charges are because even the articles were very vague. They didn't identify elements of a crime. So then we have to like figure out like, what is it? Some more so vague, we didn't even know what they meant. Like, But if I go kill someone, which I don't plan to do, but if I did, yeah. and I'm indigent, I have no money, the state pays for my legal defense, correct? If you if you can't afford it, yes. Yes, and I get to defend myself if I want. I get to say I'm innocent of yes. what I'm being charged with, right? That's correct. And I'm accused of murder. Yes. And you were accused, I think, of getting like a new countertop in your house from a, a developer or yes. something. Yes, other things like that, yes. Yeah. Huh. Um, so how did this happen? So again, I want to get back to the the central mystery here, which is how does a conservative state conservative enough to reelect you three times. Mm -hmm. How does this happen in a state like that? So there's, I told you about the Biden piece of this. Then there's a group called Texans for Lawsuit Reform. They have spent, they spent a lot of money to bring in another candidate, uh, Eva Guzman, who was on the Supreme Court, to be part of running against me. And they thought that if they got enough people running against me, I, they could take me out of a primary, run me out of money by putting me into a, a, a runoff. And this group has spent a lot of money and they were certainly not only part of trying to get me defeated, uh, but they were also very much a part of this effort. We have emails where they've written articles and they send them to Karl Rove and then Karl Rove gets them published in the Wall Street Journal, whereas we couldn't get anything published in the Wall Street Journal, even before the gag order, we were turned down for our editorial by the Wall Street Journal because we had a guy that tried to submit one. They said, we can't do yours. And then the next day they did Karl Rove. So Karl Rove wrote a piece um, this summer, I believe in August, saying that you were going to be convicted. Yes. And that was gloating. Yes. And calling you a bad person. Yes. So Rove is obviously a, a huge liberal. Why would Karl Rove have the sway that he does at the Wall Street Journal and in Texas? It's confusing. So, I don't know why he has sway at the Wall Street Journal. And I don't think he has that sway in Texas. I mean, he, his candidates typically lose. I mean, he's, he's backed my opponents in every AG race that I've been in. First one, and then the last one with the Bush, very tied in with the Bushes. But he's definitely also tied in with this Texans for lawsuit reform. And then we should not forget that Karl Rove was involved in cleaning up, you know, the elections that were stolen from John Kerry in 2004 on behalf of the Bushes. Can we repeat that? He was the one that was cleaning up any evidence of election meddling and theft in 2004. Hence why the sex tape came later. You always have to keep people like that in check. They were communicating and he was also communicating with some of the uh, employees, some of my staffers that had made these charges. He was, he, we have text messages with him communicating with them as well. So there was, I knew this was going on. I didn't have proof, but during this process, we got some of the proof that I thought existed. So Karl Rove gets straight a piece in the Wall Street Journal, which I think is the biggest circulation paper in the country or close anyway, yeah. calling you immoral and saying that you're going to be convicted in this trial and that you deserve it. You should be destroyed. And you go to the Wall Street Journal and say, I'd like to kind of give my side of it and they say no one of my friends did and they said no we're not going to publish yours and and he didn't they were very not they were very vague about why they couldn't do it but they were not letting my side of the story be published so just to carl rove who again is is an activist liberal working effectively for the biden administration and yes. who, who shares their their views totally and their ideology i mean he's, he's a liberal big time just hangs out in aspen got it <laughs> But wh how would Karl Rove still be a force in Texas politics? Are most Texas voters kind of on board with the Rove program? No, I think he tries to be a force. His, the numbers, it, it's, it's, 
you know, I think my numbers in the primary showed it. I got 68%. George P got 32. He's he's he has some influence with that 32%, but not so much with that 68%. But they thought if they buried me in negativity, of course you remember I'm I can't speak, and I'm trying to just raise enough money to have some type of legal offense. They felt like they had all the advantage, so he just starts pounding me with bad stories. It was a, it was a, it was a strategy. So describe Rove is famous not as an intellectual hardly, but as a political strategist, as a tactician. Describe his method of politics. Uh, you know, he's he, there's nothing he won't do. I, I believe he he doesn't mind if destroying a person's life because I, mean, I mean, what this effectively potentially could lead to one is not only out of office, but I can never run again. It affects my reputation. Potentially puts me in legal jeopardy. Any strategy is open to Karl Rove. He is good with it as long as he gets his way. So destroying the person, his family, his marriage. His... No, no problem for Karl Rove. What's interesting is that um, when George W. Bush was president, I, I mean, I was there, Rove was relentlessly attacked by the media as a vicious person. Now Karl Rove is defended by the media. How did that happen? I think they realize he's not conservative. He's more in line with, I mean, Bill Clinton and, and President Obama than he is in line with our voters in Texas. And so the media is very sympathetic and, and doing things like this only encourages the media to support Karl Rove. Interesting. So to, uh, to the House Speaker uh, of Dave Phelan, or Dade Phelan, um, who led the charge against you, I wanna, it got personal. And at one point you suggested or your allies suggested that he had been drunk on the floor of the Texas house in your famous pink yes. building. Um, we have the video. He apparently was outraged that you said that he was drunk. Here's the video and maybe our viewers can assess whether you were right. Campbell, send that amendment. The amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? The chair has none. The amendment is adopted. The chair recognizes Mr. Mr. Johnson of Harris Mr. Johnson of Harris to speak in opposition to the bill. The chair recognizes Ms. Niave Criado to speak in opposition to the bill. Thank you. So what, what language is that? Is that Hungarian, <laughs> Esperanto? I didn't understand. Like, what was that? Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, uh, it was, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, he was definitely drunk. And they tried to say well, he, he was. Or on uh, something. He was, tired, he was, he was very tired or whatever. Was tired. <laughs> is it, you, so you said you served 10 years in the Texas House. Is, is were you shocked by that? No. I've seen lots of alcohol on the floor. I've seen lots of people drunk. I mean, it's it's but it's really unusual for the speaker to... Do that, and I don't. I, I think we have other clips of him where it looks like he's drunk. That was that one was probably the most clear. It was at the end of session, and I, I just thought it was unbecoming of a speaker that he should not put himself out in public. You know, have somebody. He doesn't have to be. If he worked in a factory, he'd be fired. Absolutely. Like you're not allowed to be drunk at work. And I was horrified. No, I was horrified that the house members didn't respond. I asked them to look into him. Like, why don't you see if he's drinking on the floor? Because you sh we shouldn't allow a speaker, especially our party to present himself like that in public. And they did nothing about it. Instead, they came after me. So he was annoyed when you pointed out he was drunk on the floor. I'm sure he was. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he was. It seemed like bad things started happen, happening right away. I'm like gonna watch that again <laughs> when we get off the air because I'm kind of sympathetic. You're not probably not 
that drunk at work unless you've got a problem. I mean, I can't, yes. normal people don't act like that. Um, so, so do you believe that his, the speaker, Dave Phelan, Dade Phelan's uh, opposition to you is, is ideological as well? Yeah, I think it's more about power for him. He, I don't think he particularly has an ideology. I yeah. think his is like, I want to stay in power. I've cut this deal to be speaker with the Democrats. I have to deliver. The Biden administration goes to the Democrats. I don't think they. I don't think the Biden administration went to feel. I think they went. He went to the, they went to the Democrats, and the Democrats said, "This is what we want. We want him out because I was causing so much trouble for the Biden administration." And then you had these other forces come in with the Rove and the TLR Texans for Lawsuit Reform group, and that was the power. And, and by the way, Texans for Lawsuit Reform gave lots of money to House members, and lots of members to senators. So they have a lot of influence. They give more money to Republican members in any other group or any other single donor, almost every single one of those Republicans that voted against me got money from Texas for lawsuit reform a lot. How much time approximately, do you, what percentage of his time does Karl Rove spend trying to destroy Republicans? I think a good part. I mean, obviously he makes money on, uh, on Fox and he has other things he does. But I mean, I my view is that his his PACs have gone after conservatives for, for, for a long time under the guise of being, you know, a pack that goes after Democrats. But I, I don't view him as an ally of Republicans. Well, no, that's for sure. Um, but why is it so threatening? So if a Republican stands up and says, you know, maybe we should have, you know, real borders, for example, why is that so threatening? The only thing I can think of, you know, you look at guys like uh, Dick Wakely, who's a builder, and he's one of the leaders of TLR. I mean, they, I think they, they think illegal immigration is a good thing. It helps their business. And obviously, I don't agree with that. I think it's devastating to my state. And if we want to have a program where we're, we're going to bring workers in from other countries, let's let's get some legislation, do it the right way, instead right. of just opening our borders to who knows who coming. Well, you've had border. millions of illegal aliens cross your border into every, Texas yeah, every year, right? And a lot of them have gone to other parts of the country. I mean, they're kind of destroying New York City right now, um, but they're completely changing the country and its political balance too. Yes. Republicans in Texas, are they aware of that? I think it's it's probably I mean, the number one issue, other than maybe voter fraud. Uh, I think that's probably right up there with that with that issue. It's 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 affecting our, obviously our border communities are devastated. You have towns that have thirty six thousand people, and you get more than that more illegals coming through there than people that live there. So it's definitely. I don't understand if you're John Cornyn, who's your senator. Yep. Um, how and you live in Texas, or at least part time live in Texas? How can you n not be outraged and upset about that? Why? How can you allow this to happen? Look, I have no idea why he doesn't seem to address this on a regular basis. Thank God that Ted Cruz has, but John Cornyn has been basically vacant on this issue. He's not. He's not. Taking why? Care. Look, he to me, he's been in Washington too long. He's 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 been there what for fourteen years or so. And I, I can't think of a single thing he's accomplished for our state or even for the country, let alone the fact that we have a, a massive invasion into our state and he doesn't speak out against it. He doesn't do any. I've never seen him propose legislation that significantly affects it or at least push hard for it. I, I haven't seen him in that fight. No. And in fact, if you if you were to go through every public statement John Cornyn has made in the last two years and compare the amount of time he spent talking about the invasion of his own state by the rest of the world, with the time he spent talking about the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, he's far more concerned about what's happening in Ukraine. So how can a guy like that be your senator? I, you know what? I don't. I think he's never really had competition. I, I, you know, he Why don't you run against him? 
Hey, look, everything's on the table for me. Now, now that I've been through this and I've seen how guys like John Cornyn are, have, have represented the state of Texas and not represented us, I think it's time somebody needs to step up and run against this guy that will do the job and do it the right way and represent us and worry about what, what's going on at the border. So sincere question, who, I, I don't think if you were to do public opinion polling in Texas, particularly of Republican voters, you would see that Cornyn has the same views that they have. He doesn't at all. I, I totally agree. So who's his constituency? You know, he's just been fortunate because he has never really had, because of the money from D.C., the support from guys like Mitch McConnell, I think he has, he's been able to stay there. I think those days are over. I, he I seems like a puppet of the Bush family. That's just an outsider perspective. He is absolutely. If you go back and look at his history, he was on the Texas Supreme Court appointed by Bush. He's the guy that pushed through our Robin Hood plan. He did it judicially by judicial activism for the Bushes instead of passing legislation because they didn't want to pass legislation because President Bush was running for president. So and that would have required a tax raise. Yes. And so he did it. He, Cornyn did it judicially, I think completely illegally, and turned our schools into very mediocre pros, pro, prospects because it made the, the poor, it took the rich school district, took their money and put it with the state and then the state was supposed to give that the poor school district the problem is it made all of them mediocre instead of letting the good school districts be good and and focusing on the ones that needed more help john cornyn created a socialistic network uh and and really i think he hurt our schools that empowered the educrats yes and hurt our ability to educate our kids and he got away with it no one ever talks about it but he did that for the bushes and for that he became they made sure he was ag of texas for one term and then a u.s senator so he got paid off and now whenever they ask him to speak criticize me when I'm running against George P. Bush or criticize me when I had this happen. He's the, he does what they ask him to do. He is a puppet of the Bush uh, and Karl Rove team. Do you think the majority of Texas Republican voters are on board with that? I, I do not think so. Well, let's just elaborate on that. Karl Rove and the Bush team. Remember in 2004, it was the Bushes that sold the elections. It was the Bushes that sent their henchman, Carl Rove, to Tennessee when that facility that was, uh, you know, conducting the counting or the dissemination of the ballot count in Ohio, uh, you know, that was under Bush. Remember, Carl Rove worked for Bush. I just want to remind you of that. But also, I want you to understand something, and this is me getting a little naked. In the shadows of conflict, whether on a battlefield or the silent tugs of political power, lies an old strategy, ages old actually, the controlling of the narrative. But not so much to just tank your target enemy, but to guide the enemy. When something evil is plotted in the darkness, bringing it to light, amplifying its horror can become its very undoing. You know, I see a lot of people saying, well, this should have happened, and it didn't happen, and timeline. Don't you get it? If you bring something bad into the light, it undoes it. It'll deter the actors from actually doing it. Kind of like, oh, here comes another lockdown. You know, they're going to think twice about it, because the conversation is they're going to lock us down again. They're going to force us to get vaccines again and wear masks again. And guess what? They tested it a little bit. And they're getting a lot of pushback. See, as Sun Tzu proclaimed in The Art of War, all warfare is based on deception. 
To reveal an enemy's malevolent plan is to rob it of its power, its stealth, and its impact. Now consider this enemy, which is so emboldened in its deceptions, perceiving an unassuming target, seemingly oblivious to the looming threat. They move with confidence, aiming to exploit what they believe is an unaware adversary. Ken Paxson, for example. But what if that ignorance is but a ruse, a feigned vulnerability? The very act of underestimating a target might push the enemy to overextend, making them very vulnerable. By amplifying what is not perceived as a threat, by amplifying Ken Paxton, which was not perceived as a threat, or a big one, the enemy can be lured into a trap, entrapping themselves in their own web of deceit. Now, a lot of people talk about 5G warfare, regular warfare, from a kinetic standpoint. But those that are game theorists understand that it's not just about physical combat. And even those that are on the battlefield understand that it's a dance of perceptions, a game of shadows and light. By controlling focus, by guiding the enemy's attention, one can dictate their movements, steering them into the very legal and moral mazes designed for their downfall. It's a chessboard of power. Now think of it this way. On the intricate chessboard of power where strategies unravel and fates intertwine, it's often the loud, smoking quiet night, seemingly abound by its L-shaped limitations that can confound the adversary the most. Much like a shadowy operative in the theater of war, the night's unpredictable movements deceive and elude, masking its true intentions. While the unsuspecting pawn, the people, march forward, steadily becoming an instrument of a looming checkmate. It is the night leaping over obstacles, defying straightforward paths, that acts as the true orchestrator of deception. By guarding and guiding the pawn, the knight ensures that even the most astute enemy is left second-guessing, always a step behind until the trap is sprung and victory is seized. Where that unsuspected pawn can become the very instrument of a king's checkmate. It is in this unending battle between good and evil. It's not just human cunning at play, but a higher wisdom, a divine hand that guides it all. It is God that endows the righteous with wisdom, with the resilience to walk through fire, to be forged into stronger vessels, whilst using the very flame set by evil to light up its own demise. So every single trial we face, every challenge thrust upon us by the malevolent, it's an opportunity given by God for the good to shine even brighter, to turn the enemy's strategies against them. For in the end, it's not merely about vanquishing an adversary. It's about upholding the values we hold dear. Values that echo through time, proclaiming that while evil might ignite the fires of destruction, it will be the righteous ones who harness that flame, using it not only to illuminate their path, but to blaze a trail of justice, freedom, and truth 
setting the perpetrators on fire, literally. So listen to what else Paxton has to tell the people. Because then you will realize just how knights, with their L-shaped maneuvers, bringing attention to certain people, like a pawn, I mean, all people, your lawyers, your senators, your congressmen, and your attorney generals are pawns. And it's up to the knight to bring attention to them while throwing them cover, to bring attention to them while making unfair maneuvers that can checkmate in the end. I mean, it's always the queen that goes for the sacrifice, right? I'm just saying. And in this sense, Goddess Columbia, <laughs> there she is. So he's just never had real competition. No one's ever gone out there and, and, and highlighted and exposed his lack of a record of supporting our state. And I don't think he has a record. I, I wonder myself, like, what would he point to that he's done for our state in the last four years? Zelensky loves him. Yeah, of, yeah. Course he, of course he does. Yeah. So is there, if, if you're not a t living in Texas and you just look at Texas and see these trends going on, particularly the immigration trends, it feels like Texas is going to be a democratic state pretty soon. I think that's the goal. Um, I think that's why it's so important that we fix things like the Texas House and we have a message that resonates with the voter, which we do have that message. But when you have this uh, civil war inside the party that Dade Phelan and Karl Rove created because they don't control it, um, I think it leads us down a, a very bad path. And we also have a voter fraud issue because we now can't prosecute voter fraud in Texas because the Court of Criminal Appeals in Texas struck down a statute from 1951 that directed the Attorney General, I wasn't there in 51, but we would prosecute voter fraud because these local DAs who are controlled by Soros in the big counties like Travis, which is Austin, yeah. or Harris, which is Houston, or Bear, which is San Antonio, they are not going to prosecute. So we were doing it. We had 900 cases. So this whole idea there's no voter fraud, complete fabrication. We were prosecuting. I only had one lawyer when I started to prosecute this. I got the legislature to give me more. We were fully busy prosecuting voter fraud. And then suddenly the Court of Criminal Appeals, all Republicans said, nope, it's unconstitutional for the Attorney General to be in court because he's in the executive branch. That was their reasoning. To be in court, I thought- the I'm not allowed because it's, I, that's a, they said that was a judicial function, so I, I no longer could be in court. Now, if they're right, you know, the Court of Criminal Appeals, they're the final court in our state on criminal matters. So they're like the Supreme Court in that. The, the Supreme Court does, is the final say on, on civil matters. So they were able to strike down one area of, uh, of law for us. If they're right, the Supreme Court should tell me that no, I shouldn't be allowed to be in court on civil cases either because I'm in the executive branch. Well, and if that was right, every attorney general in the country should no longer be allowed to go to court. I'm confused. So the attorney general of the state of Texas is not allowed to prosecute voter fraud? That's correct. Even though the legislature directed it. It's one of the things that I'm, I'm told to do four things in the Texas Constitution. And one of those things is such things as are required by law. Who makes the laws? The Texas legislature. The legislature passed the law in 51 that directed the attorney general to prosecute voter fraud, largely because I think that they didn't trust the local DAs to get that done because it's very political. And so that's what we did. We prosecuted voter fraud and we had plenty of it. And now guess what? There's no prosecution for voter fraud. But that's fraud. the core defense of democracy is prosecuting voter if fraud. If we don't fix this, if the Court of Criminal Appeals, who I am concerned was put there by George Soros, because no one knows who they are. They're all Republicans, but we don't, even Republicans don't know who they are. If I go to a room of Republicans, I say, can you name one person on the Court of Criminal Appeals? 
I'm lucky if I can get one. And so by, I think it was a genius move by getting the right people on there. We now have no defense because the local DAs won't do it. And now I'm supposedly not allowed to do it. So I tried to get the, the legislature to pass a law to reauthorize it. The Senate overwhelmingly passed it. And guess what I was told in the Texas House by Dade Phelan's uh, team? We don't have time for that. We're not gonna do it. We don't have time to prosecute voter fraud? We don't have time to reauthorize that statute so that I, I can go back and start prosecuting voter fraud and go change the makeup of the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. I was told by the speaker, we don't have time for that. It, in my opinion, but we have all the time in the world. So he's not allowed to prosecute voter fraud. But one thing is common throughout the whole nation is that your attorney general is responsible for consumer fraud. He is responsible for consumer protection. So those of you that are in Texas, please gather up all the evidence and you have it in writing from your own representatives that made a purchase on your behalf telling you that it's safe and transparent. Gather up all the evidence from those machines, manufacturers that tell you that they are safe and effective. Gather up all the evidence and file your complaint. You're a consumer. They used your money to buy it. Millions and millions of dollars. And then file a consumer protection request from Attorney General Ken Paxton. And suddenly, the House and the Senate of Texas can't do shit because that's one of the core function of the Attorney General's office. But he can't do it on his own. He has to have complaints. And if the state of Texas decides to inundate his office with consumer complaints, nicely crafted, and demonstrating how they have products that were purchased on their behalf that are defective. It's pretty simple. And the defective portion comes to the transparency portion that is required. And suddenly, you omit all the questions or the interjections that the federal government can pose. You see how that works? You see, we traded in one chit, and what he said was, DAs won't prosecute. That case in Texas, as I said, the DA had nothing. So he was like, we need the Attorney General's uh, opinion. But then Ken Paxton won. And guess what happened? Dismiss, 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 dismiss. What did the judge do? Why did she run? Who threatened her? Because we already knew that Ken Paxton was going to win. You see where I'm going with this? You see what he just put down for you? The DAs won't do anything. And that DA in that county shit his pants. But it's okay. Because we can easily maneuver. See, I read a message the other day from someone. Um, actually, there were a couple people, but the words were pretty much the same, but not. But in summary, they said, it's astounding how you can adapt very easily. People that actually get to know you and meet you understand just how fucking smart you are and you don't put it out. See, adaptability is the ability to be able to shift gears when you need to. Hence why ChatGPT always uses the phrase shift gears. I kid you not. It literally said that. Let's shift gears for a bit. That's what Tori says would say. 
Shifting gears is very important. In Fort Huachuca, when I was trained how to <laughs> drive cars and shoot guns out of it, yeah, I did do that. It was kind of cool. It's called you shift your gear to move, right? Stick shifts, what do you do? You bring it down a gear so you can stall and turn. You just got to adjust. But you got to be quick to adjust. So here we are. The DAs won't do anything. The judges won't do anything. But now we have an attorney general that's like, scorched earth, bitches. Get your Nikes. And you come in with a filing that is 100% under his purview. And tell me how that works. Now, many of us in all states can file the same complaint. And again, many of your attorney generals may actually do the work. Many of them may tell you they did the work but didn't. And many of them will do the work but still do nothing. That's still okay. Because all the work they do, you can ask for. Remember, it's done with your taxpayer dollars. So you have the right to see it. So once you ask them to investigate and they send you a letter and they're like, well, we investigated this and we can't based on this, 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 thanks for playing. You then send an open records request and say, all right, I want all your communications related to this complaint now. And within 30 days, they have to provide it to you by law. And if your attorney general in the state of Michigan, for example, doesn't want to respond or ignores your 30-day mark, but 10 of your friends sent the same request, give me all that shit that you did on my behalf as a consumer because of these defective machines. Let me take a look. And they say no. Then I guess you and your 10 friends can go to state court and sue them for it. And that's a violation of the open records request. And he just did work on your behalf. And this isn't a criminal thing. It's a civil thing. It's a defective product. And I'm defending. So you can't say there's an ongoing criminal investigation. Unless there's something they're not telling us. So see, this is the way you do it. You steer and you guide the enemy into the box you want. First, you give them enough to see that you're serious. And then they follow your lead. They're just like, all right, this person is pretty on point. Maybe we should do this. Maybe we should listen. Okay, then now that I have your attention, please listen. This is where we're going. This is what we're doing. See, that this is like the train where it's like ready to crash. And you're like, look, your train's crashing. Come here, have a seat, grab some popcorn. Watch your shit fucking derail. And they're like, no, it's not. Watch us do it. Well, tell me how they're going to take away the consumer protection away from Ken Paxson right now. Obviously not. And tell me how your attorney generals in the states that don't want to do their work, like I know for a fact that the state of Washington will probably say they did something and do nothing. And that's where you subpoena, where they didn't uphold their duty to even look at it. Uh, people will say there's discretion. But when you have receipts and, oh, that's another thing. Make sure you get your receipts. Ask your local county how much money they pay for the machines. Because when they're paying millions of dollars, uh, you could be like, hey, millions of my tax dollars were spent. Not only mine, but every other citizen in the state. So you need to look into this. Because he can't say it's frivolous. We're talking millions of dollars. So call into the carpet. Use what they are originally tasked with to your advantage. You know, it's almost like trying to grab a mobster, right? 
you're not going to get him for giving two tones the orders to cut Jimmy Longfinger's finger. You're going to get him on tax evasion. See, this is what's pretty awesome in regards to actual irregular warfare, actual game theory. Most important issue we have, because every other issue falls on whether we can elect the right people. Of course, and whether voters have the power to send their choice into office. I mean, do voters have power is the real exactly. question. Exactly, and if you think about it, if we lose the state, the laws are gonna change. All the voter laws are gonna change. We're gonna be like California where you can just mail it. So Ken, Ken Paxton just told you, we need the elections because that is the most important. Use his words when you craft your request for your consumer complaint. Sometimes people tell you everything they need if you're listening. And that's why I always say, listen to your president. He's already expressed to you how it's necessary and how he needs evidence of election fraud or that there's something wrong with the machines. Well, why give him evidence when the state of Texas puts the burden on the actual manufacturer? And that's where the questions can come in. Hey, Yoast. Yeah, Dave. This is going to be a really big pickle for you. Because this is going to be interesting. Because the laws in Ohio have similar things. But I think Texas, the Lone Star State, will bring that home. <laughs> and make sure you trust everything coming out of Kansas soon. Watch. Ballots. And what I know from mail-in ballot having fought this for the last election, winning 12 cases on mail-in ballots that unfortunately other states like Georgia did not fight, I know that mail-in ballots are completely unreliable. If you just mail them out to everybody, you have no idea who's sending them back. There's no verification. When they say you can't prove voter fraud, they are right. Because normally what you have to do, if you're gonna mail-in ballot, you have to satisfy the laws under certain categories. You're over 65, you're out of state, what, you're disabled. You satisfy, you sign an affidavit and you send it in with your application that this is my signature. And then when you send your ballot back, they send you a ballot and an envelope, you sign that envelope with your signature, stick the ballot in, and they verify the signature. It's not the best, not as good as photo ID that we have for all other voting, but it still is something. But when you change it to mailing it out to everybody, we have no idea, we have no signature verification, we have no idea who's voting. So when they say, you can't prove voter fraud, that's the system that they like because we can't prove voter fraud if we set up a system that's completely open. And that's what's happening in America. So that's why Georgia, which, most of us thought was a kind of conservative state became one of the most left-wing states in the country, you believe because of mail-in ballots. I sat there on election night. So I told I told the president in, in, I think it was May, I said, Mr. President, I have 12 lawsuits in the most liberal counties. I'm losing in every county because they sued in liberal counties where all the judges are liberal. Court of Appeals are liberal. I'm gonna have to find a way to get to the Supreme Court or the Fifth Circuit before it's too late, before they mail those ballots out, or you won't win Texas. I guarantee you, if, if Harris County can send out 2.7 million ballots, you won Texas by 600,000, you will not win. And if, if we have multiple counties doing that, they'll, they'll just figure out how many votes they need. We won every single lawsuit, every, all 12. And I told him, we lose one, you're done. He didn't believe me. And I said, you've got to watch this in other states because if this is happening in Texas, which it looks like it's a, it's a national program, I can only focus on Texas. You better make sure this doesn't happen in other states. And sure enough, Georgia, which had the same margin of victory for Trump, four years prior, they don't stop it. The, the governor, the AG, they, they just let, they sign a consent decree and they have mail-in ballots with no signature verification. They have drop-off boxes. 
and they allow all these mail-in ballots. And guess what? Now, Georgia, that had the same margin of victory for Trump, now suddenly we have an 8 or 9% win for Trump by protecting the ballot box. In Georgia, he loses by what, 14,000? I don't know, but it was a small amount. And I knew when they stopped counting votes on election, I'm sitting there watching, I'm going, this is what they would have done in Texas. And all the- What was that about? What's that? They stopped counting votes on election night? Because what they needed to figure out was how many real votes there were so they could figure out how many mail-in ballots to apply to the election. That's what they would have done in Texas. I'm convinced. So you think that was fraud, right? I have no doubt, having been through that- Oh, wait a minute. I think Ken is speaking my language. Wasn't I the one in 2020 that said they will manufacture the tangible evidence to match the digital evidence to see how much they need? Hmm. Quite fascinating. And see, they came up with this idea after Jill Stein did the audit. Jill Stein was just a pawn for the Hillary Clinton camp to go in and see. Huh. Where have... You all heard that. I think it was in 2020, the day after the election and the day of when Fox News, which, by the way, Murdoch is stepping down, um, cut my feet. So I am just saying sometimes when you pick your successor, you pick the one that rises like a phoenix when they put them through fire. Listen to your president very carefully. It wasn't just a water leak? <laughs> it was definitely planned. I mean, it would have happened in Texas. I promise but you. But can you just stop counting ballots on election night when they everyone's watching TV? Oh, I know. Have you ever seen that before? Ever? For three years? Well, you tell me. You're the one. I have you're never the seen I've never seen it before in my life. I was like, I knew it when they stopped. And it was, and Trump is leading in all these states. Wait, wait. He hasn't seen it as all, in all his life, but we have. See, in 2014, in Ukraine, there were elections. And during those elections, they stopped counting in the middle of the night. While the opposing party was leading, of course. And they stopped counting, and in the morning, Poroshenko was once again elected. Their excuse was that the master keys to the voting counting software were hacked by the Russians. I mean... Did they just admit vulnerability of the machines and that the Russians hacked them? <laughs> the same machines that run the same software that we have too? I mean, I'm just saying. We've already seen this movie before. And in fact, the leak, the water leak, was actually my idea that couldn't stand. Because in Ukraine, the way their plumbing system was, it was... It was allegedly decentralized. How can I explain it? So there's master switches where you can purge water, stop water, cause damage. You know, you didn't want to cause severe damage. You wanted it targeted. So if we were going to blame the Russians, we needed in Donbass, for example, to have a water leak, right? But it turns out that we had no actual control to those decentralized, you know, areas without getting caught. All eyes were on the Ukraine elections thanks to the Russians that had already conducted elections in Crimea, right? So they had already shown a flashlight. Hey, you guys are going to rig the elections. So we had to come up with another alternative strategy. So I said, all right, then we'll say they hacked it. 
but then that would admit that they're online. But it's a digital age. They accept it. They'll accept whatever we say. And if Europe gets behind it, same scenario, and the U.S. agencies push it, then we can claim that the Russians tried to hack, so we had to stop counting, of course. But the fact was, they needed to manufacture the evidence in case the people of Donbass wanted to audit their votes to make it look like they voted for Poroshenko. See how that works? And it's so weird, because I remember that's when my feed was cut off. It's almost like they knew I was going to be like, hey, that was my idea. That was a potato. Remember? It was right then and there when they were showing the plumber that I was like, hey, wait a minute. And then they cut my feed on Twitch. That was it. The leak to give them access to the facilities in order to bring in the tangible evidence to match the digital, of course. Here we go. I knew exactly what they were doing. They were because there's no way to know where those mail-in ballots came. Anybody could have filled them out. Anybody. There's no way to know where those ballots came from. That's that's not a dangerous conspiracy theory. It's I'm I watched it happen. <laughs> I was a part of it. So they tell me I'm crazy whenever I talk about it. They tell me that I should shut up. As a matter of fact, they're going after my state bar license right now for going after uh, election fraud in the overall election. So on top of all of this, you know, I've got to deal with the... the but why wouldn't Carl Rove be upset about that? I mean, he's a defender of democracy, Very right? good question. Why, why, why is Carl not worried about that? He doesn't seem well, to Well, so care. if you're Carl and you're taking all this money from billionaires, some of whom I know who are nice people, and I think they think it's helping, or Carl's convinced them that he's helping somehow, yes. why wouldn't preventing voter fraud, mail-in ballots, which you bet voter fraud, be your number one priority? I think for any that cares about democracy, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, that that should be the number one thing. And for the media to constantly uh, shut down the conversation about this, and for social media companies, technology companies to shut down the conversation tells me that there, there's a reason they don't want us talking about it. It's insane what, how you get treated for, for even bringing it up, when in reality, I don't think there's a more important issue, even than immigration, anything, because all those other issues will be affected by whether we have real elections that we can trust. And you think it comes down to, or the most important issue is mail-in ballots? What I know, like I don't know the machine stuff. I've tried to get people to bring stuff to prove it, and I've never seen proof. So I would... If I haven't had, either. If they, if they open-minded, but I have open minded, but yep. I have never had anybody read proof. But I do know 100% that they cheat with mail-in ballots. I know that for a fact, and we have prosecuted people for that. We had a lot of cases. It wasn't just like... Oh, well, this, you know why they can tell the narrative that there's no voter fraud? Because no one prosecutes voter fraud in the country except us. We used to. Now there's no cases. Who prosecutes? Can you name cases in our state? You know what? They don't prosecute it. The, the prosecutors do not prosecute it, even though it's a violation of law and it affects the fundamental basis of our democracy. Well, it ends democracy. We don't have it. If you can do impeachments like this and you can have mail-in ballots, we don't have democracy. We have control by a few people. Can, can you just walk us through since you prosecuted cases, uh, voter fraud cases, how exactly does the fraud work with mail-in ballots? It's, so what these, these registrars do, or these people that control the, the, the election offices, election administrators in each of these counties, so they decided because of COVID, that's how they got around a lot. In Texas, we have a lot that says you can only mail-in ballot if you're out of state uh, at the time of the election, or you have a disability, or you're over 65, or you're in jail, but you're not a felon. Right. That's it. That's fairly broad. I don't even like that broad because it still opens up voter fraud. 
But that's what the legislature said, so that's the rules. Well, so what they said, these judges, these local administrators, were going to send out millions of ballots. So I, I would have guessed seven or eight million dollars going out in Texas to everyone. Just everybody that's in the, in the county. Well, so if the, if the election administrator is colluding and telling people where those ballots are, they just pick them up, fill them out, sign them, and they mail them back in, you would have no idea. And if you have a program for that, there's no way to know. I can't ever prosecute this because I don't know who signed the ballot. I can't prove it wasn't real. It, it becomes nearly impossible. And that's what I think they were trying to accomplish in Texas. And then when I saw it happen into these other states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, it affected our elections because guess what? We all vote for president. We all have national elections that relate to the Senate and Congress. And that's why I sued. I, I sued because I said, wait a minute, these states are required by the Constitution to follow their own laws, and they didn't follow their own laws. I can't prove voter fraud. I, even they probably can't prove voter fraud because of the way it was done. But I did argue that they, they didn't follow their own laws, and they are required to. In the Supreme Court, we lost 7-2. I think they should have heard our case, and that's what the state bar said. That was a frivolous lawsuit. And even though two Supreme Court justices agree with you, you should be punished for following that case. Of course, they're not elected. I am. So you think that was the third rail? That, that's what you did? That oh, there's no brought doubt. Brought impeachment on your head. There's no doubt that. Of course, we're all, also, we have lawsuits against Google, Facebook, tech companies. We've, we're starting to invest big pharma on the, the vaccine because, as you know, the vaccine manufacturers are not liable for any, any damages. They're completely immune under federal law. It's a vaccine. So they don't have to. We were already finding out they hadn't tested these vaccines. And they weren't disclosing some of the consequences. So we were looking at uh, potentially, we, we were investigating them to see if we had causes of action or deceptive trade practices in Texas. And as soon as I did that, man, that blew up my world. And I became, I think, a target of some big pharma, big tech, and obviously the Biden. You, you should be punished for following that case. Of course, they're not elected. I am. So you think. So I rewinded it because you need to hear this part because it's time listen to this part very carefully that was the third rail that that's what you did that oh there's no brought doubt. impeachment on your head there's no doubt that of course we're also we have lawsuits against google facebook tech companies we've, we were starting to invest big pharma on the the vaccine because as you know the vaccine manufacturers are not liable for any any damages they're completely immune under federal law it's a vaccine so they don't have to we were already finding out they hadn't tested these vaccines and they weren't disclosing some of the consequences. So we were looking at uh, potentially, we, we were investigating them to see if we had causes of action or deceptive trade practices in Texas. And as soon as I did that. Wait, what? Deceptive trade practices. <laughs> oh, shit. You mean consumer laws. You mean consumer protection. You mean he did this because there were complaints filed. And he did it. We all know, we all know they cheat in elections. But as I said in my affidavit, you can prove they are, and you can prove they aren't. Therefore, since you can't prove either or, you shouldn't be using them. That's the bottom line of every fucking argument that should be out there, rather than us having to train people on technology and understanding how these things work. And so, 
Ken Paxton came out and said, well, hold on a second. Obama made it so that you can't be sued for damages with the vaccines, but you're not disclosing anything. Remember the blank inserts. Remember how they hadn't tested it on anyone. Remember informed consent. Remember you're the consumer. And so if the pharma company can't be held accountable, then it should be the people that made the purchase on your behalf with trust that you vested in them. So I guess, you know, here we are. And while many may say your affidavit says a lot, Tori, I'm telling you, a lot of people have read it, but it's just way too simple of an argument. You can't prove they are. You can't prove they aren't. Therefore, we shouldn't be using them. And no one wants to use common sense. Instead, we delve into their dirty practices. It's almost like when I have arguments with people that are stupider. Stupider in regards to evil. Okay, let's just keep it this way. Evil people will drag you down to their level of evil and beat you with fucking experience. And therefore, if you bring common sense, they'll just drag you down to their pits of endless mazes and chasing your tail and having evidence that can't stand on its own because then you need another component and another component. It's almost like the Joe Biden thing. Oh, I didn't know my son was doing shit. Where's the evidence? Oh, well, so far, none has been presented yet. Yet. Man, that blew up my world and I became, I think, a target of some big pharma, big tech, and obviously the Biden administration. Why would that be controversial? Uh, look, big pharma gives a lot of money and- But if they make everyone take the vaccine, but they haven't fully tested it, which is not, true, not, and they have liability, doesn't somebody need to- I was doing it because the federal government has this, this immunity for them. And I'm like, this is wrong. They didn't test this thing. And then they didn't tell us about those side effects. They had an obligation to test it, even if they weren't liable. And they had an obligation to tell my, my people, hey, there's some risk here. You should decide whether you want the vaccine, but here are your risks. Instead of saying, oh, everything's good. It prevents it. You won't spread it. All that was untrue. And that's a deceptive trade practice. If they did that and we were starting to get that information. It seems like they did that. It seems like they did that. I had to leave office, so I don't know what's going on with that investigation. I will be finding out this week. But we are going to be back on that, that case. And I think that the people of Texas and the country have, have a right to know what happened. Well, of course they do. Is Rove not on that either? I have never heard him speak against any, any, anything related to that. Never. So it's interesting. People, I've interviewed a lot of people who go through traumatic experiences. This has obviously been a traumatic experience for you and your family. Um, and they either are kind of broken by it and decide to obey or they become more ferocious. Where would you say you are? Look, I am so excited about going back. I've, I've been thinking about what I want to do when I get back since the day I left. And so um, I'm re-energized uh, to, to, to do the things that I think the voters sent me to do. I ran again because I was in the middle of so many big things. I mean, our Google lawsuit, our antitrust lawsuit is the, I think the largest the world's ever seen. And it will have an impact on whether we have free speech on the internet, whether whether they can control all advertising on the internet by one company. The things that I was working on, like this big pharma stuff, and the, the fact that we're trying to stop the Biden administration from ignoring the constitution and just ramrodding things through outside of the legislative process, these are all things that fundamentally affect, and, and the voter foundation fundamentally affect whether we are going to be a free country. And so, I mean, that excites me to go fight for that. And even if they keep taking shots at me, which I assume 
Carl Rove and that group, and they'll continue to do it. But to me, it's worth it because if we don't fight now, we're going to lose our freedom. We lose Texas, we lose everything. Well, yeah. I mean, the country's a completely different country if Texas goes. There's no balance at we all. We cannot depend on Maine to say it, this. It's a one-party <laughs> state at that point. Um, so what do you think they'll... I mean, presumably, you got, what, 800 lawyers in your office? Somewhere around that. I, yeah. I'll have to go back and check because I'm in the <laughs> <laughs> So it's a four. I mean, what's your, I mean, you are a force. Yes, we are the largest Republican attorney general's office in the, in the country. And I know that. We've got resources that other states don't have. So we can do things that they can't do. And a lot of times, you know, other states will work with us to, to in, increase our, our ability to have an impact. But we are the most important Republican state just because of size and resources. Of course, massive scale. So they're trying to put Trump in jail. What do you think they're going to try to to do to you next you know what it, i think if they if they could they'd put me in jail they i don't think they're going to stop they realize that this this law issue works because there are lots of judges who are political more than they are yes. following the law and so you're exposed i'm exposed he's exposed depending on what court you end up in and you know if you end up in certain courts you got almost no chance of winning so it's it's a scary prospect for for people like us but if we don't keep going we concede. We lose. I mean, we all lose. My kids lose. My grandkids lose. I mean, I'm 60. I'm only going to be around for, what, 20, 30 years. I don't want to walk away from this and, and leave my kids and my grandkids in a spot where I just gave up and said, fine, let them do this. I'm not going to, even if they punish me for it, so be it. You hear conservatives complain about George Soros's effect on our judicial system. But okay. So did you hear that? He doesn't want the people of tomorrow to say, what have you done? He doesn't want his children to look at him and say, you didn't do anything. That's service. When you don't care how they attack you, and you know that they're that insane that they will lock you up, but he's willing to fight. And that's what's key. So, you know, while I remember all the big social media influencers like Brian Cates, right? For some reason, that dildo is supposedly an influencer, influencer, obviously, because he's part of an operation. But when I said that he is America's attorney general, make sure you send the letter to yours and his. I said this two years ago, two years ago. They all laughed. Who is this bee-ish saying these things? What does she know? Well, sometimes to pen people into the checkmate, the knight has to do leaps and bounds and attract attention somewhere where they thought that they needed no attention, just to amplify and expedite it. And the position of power is when you've been through the fire and won. And here's where it goes. So now when he goes to his office, right, think about it. He's at his office and he finds out the raid that happened. Well, it's an investigation. What can we do? Who authorized that investigation? So the FBI came in with a free pass. Is that what you're saying? Are they violating the Ninth and Tenth Amendment? Where is the state sovereignty here? These are all questions. All big questions. See, in this game of chess, the knight distracting is the people. And while they're distracting most of the people, the pawns are actually people that want to serve and say it's all or nothing man i'm exposed you're exposed we're all exposed and 
here's where it shows where you sit. And that's exactly what he just told you. If you were listening, of course. You know, you've been in Texas a long time. Have you've seen it? It is dramatic because he's so smart. I mean, he, I think he's outsmarted us on this stuff. Like to get, I watched DAs who I worked with, Democratic DAs who I worked with, didn't agree with on every issue, but they would prosecute cases, whether it was in Travis County, we worked with the DA there. I even tried to help her get money to prosecute certain types of cases. The, the uh, Bear County, which is San Antonio, I thought that guy was doing a great job. George Soros put up candidates to take those two out. Why? Because he wanted people that wouldn't prosecute real crime and focus on political crimes. Instead of going after, you know, shoplifters and drugs and all the things that you'd expect a prosecutor to go after, George Soros and voter fraud, they're not going to do it. It's, it was a great strategy. So that leaves only but me. But why would he want that? I mean, why would I don't why would anybody want to encourage violent crime? It's a mystery to me. I don't understand it uh, unless you want to destabilize the country, which that does. I think it creates lack of confidence. People don't feel safe. Right. Um, and, they don't trust their institutions. And I think you can look at the big cities, whether it's Austin or go to Seattle, go to San Francisco. I mean, you're you, you know, San Francisco. I think the results speak for themselves. Right. I mean, crime rates have gone up. People will feel less safe. And I think it's had its intended effect and continues to have its intended effect. So that was a smart move by George Soros. And it's really hard for us to do much about it because we can't elect, we don't control Democratic primaries. So that means we have to be smart. We, we have to make sure our Court of Criminal Appeals, which is all Republican, that we elect the right people there. We have to be sure that the Attorney General is going to go fight for this stuff. Because if we lose some of these other pillars, we have nothing left to fight with. Are there, I mean, again, I hate to keep going back to Karl Rove, but you know, he raises probably more money than anybody in the state for politics. Is this a concern of his? I mean, are Republican groups trying to get prosecutors who care about the law elected? I've never seen it. I've never seen it from Karl Rove. I, have, I, w I wish Karl Rove cared about some of these things, but I've never seen him concerned about the things that I'm talking about, things that dramatically affect the future of Texas and the future of our country, which I have said are linked. Uh, I've never seen Karl Rove ever step forward to do that. I've seen him attack Republicans, conservative Republicans, who are trying to do that, like me, but I've never seen him help us. I've seen him work with the other side, but I've never seen him help us. But I mean, a lot of people get murdered as a result of these policies. Like people die, a lot of people die. There's no doubt that we have higher crime rates in all categories because of policies from DAs. I mean, look at what Austin did. They cut their police force, I think it was by 34%. Well, now, I mean, with crime rates going up, and you're cutting the police force? They did that in Austin. I know they've done that in other cities. How does that make any sense? And by the way, they keep saying, they kept saying in my, my trial that I was against law enforcement. That is not true. I'm against corrupt law enforcement. I'm not against law enforcement. I believe in law enforcement, and I think cutting the police force is a bad idea. So this whole notion that they tried to present in the trial that I was against law enforcement is absolute false. And I think more law enforcement is actually better as long as they're doing their job the right way. And I, in any profession, you have people that, you know, don't do the right thing. I've noticed. Yes. It wouldn't it be interesting though to try and figure out how many people have been murdered as a result of these policies. I mean, Austin got a pretty famous serial killer once they started mm -hmm. pulling back on law I, enforcement. I, obviously, we're, as time is going on, we're going to get more. We should be able to get more and more of those statistics, and uh, we already have probably at least a year or two's worth to look at. And that's something I'm going to be super interested in and in talking about as I go around the state, because I'm going to be going around the state talking about all of these issues over the next couple of years. Amazing. Amazing. Well, that's that was 
That's quite a story. Congratulations. Hey, thank you. And thank you for, for coming. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's, it's my first chance to at least tell some of the story. And obviously, I'm going to keep doing that. And I really appreciate you having me here. Congratulations. Thank you. Too, by the way, thank you. Thank you. Oh, wasn't that interesting? Now, let's, let's think about it a little bit. Let's just ponder a little bit on, you know, Texas consumer rights. Oh, there's a video for that. This is a really quick video. Just one minute. It's called DPTA in Texas. Law for y'all. <clears throat> Let's take a listen. If you get ripped off here in Texas, there's a good chance the law can help you. Here in Texas, we have a set of consumer protection laws called the Deceptive Trade Practices and Consumer Protection Act, or DTPA for short. These consumer protection laws are meant to protect you from various types of fraud and deceptive business practices. Things like bait and switch advertising, when a company lies to you about the need for repair services to your car, or when a company fails to disclose all the underlying facts in a sales transaction because they're trying to induce you into a contract and make money off of you. Now look, I can't cover all the various types of DTPA violations in one short video, but let's just say if a company is going to lie to you in order to make money off of you, there's a good chance that violates the DTPA. And here's the best part about it. Not only does the DTPA seek to compensate you for what you lost, it allows you to recover up to three times your economic damages as a way to punish and deter the company that employed those shady business practices. So the next time you get ripped off here in Texas, don't just write it off. Remember that you have legal rights as a consumer. And if a company is going to violate those legal rights, the law allows you to punish that company. I'm Chris Arnell, an attorney in Texas, and that's a little law for y'all. A little law for y'all. So the Deceptive Trade Practices Act generally refers to state-level laws, right, that prohibit false, misleading, or deceptive practices in commerce. The purpose of the laws are to protect the consumers that are also being consumed against false advertising, fraudulent practices, and other forms of misrepresentation by businesses. Given that each state has its own version of the DTPA, there can be variations in the specifics of the law. However, the Texas Deceptive Trade Practices Consumer Protection Act is one of the most well-known and it's often used as a reference. <laughs> Go figure, Lone Star. I'll outline its general provisions to give you an idea. But similar principles apply in other states too. So number one, Breach of warranty, right? So that goes warranty. Doesn't really apply here, but it does protect consumers against businesses that breach their, their express or implied warranties. Doesn't apply here. Unconscionable actions. The DTPA prohibits businesses from taking advantage of a consumer's lack of knowledge or ability to, gro to a grossly unfair degree, leading to a gross disparity between the value received and considered paid. So, I mean, it's not like all of you are well-versed in patents or to understand how the internet works or how they communicate amongst each other, right? You don't know this stuff. 
That's an unconscionable action. Specific enumerated rights is another. Many DTPAs, including Texas, contained a laundry list of specific practices that are considered deceptive. Examples might include representing that your goods are of a particular standard or quality, like safe and fair or transparent. Advertising these goods or services without the intention to sell them or falsely stating that a consumer will receive something in return. False and misleading are deceptive acts. Key here. The DTPA prohibits any business from engaging in false, misleading, or deceptive practices. I mean, you know, the most simplest deceptive practice is when you roll up to a, uh, you know, McDonald's and you see this amazing burger, right? It looks freaking dope. It looks juicy. It's dripping with cheese. You know, it's all nice. And then when you get it on the other end, you know, the buns inside out, it looks like shit. I mean, in essence, that's basically it. Or it doesn't even have meat in it. It's just, where's the beef? So that includes on making false statements like about the quality, right? How good it is. The grade. Oh, this is elevated. You know, this is like super secure or standards that they have. We, our standard is meeting this, right? Of a product and falsely stating that products are new or original when they're not. You mean like gem software, repurposed as whatever you want to call it when they're not or making false and misleading statements about productions or warranties or how amazing they are. Like we give transparency. I don't think so. Now there are remedies for consumers that are harmed by such practices. They can file lawsuits seeking actual damages. I mean, if the state of Texas was to sue, I don't know, heart inner civic for deceptive practices, I would assume that the monetary, well, the remuneration would be the exact amount of money that they were paid to provide these alleged machines to conduct the services that they so deceitfully stated they could do. These are how these methods are how you get people in a box. And like he said, there are judges that have been politicized. We all know that. So maybe we should be shifting gears and looking at other ways to make laws work for us. I mean, this is one of those ways of being able to do that. Sunshine teardrops. That's what it is. Until tomorrow, God bless. <laughs>